Would you turn with me in your Bibles, please, to the book of Revelation, the last book in our Bible. We've come to a time to study and to understand what it is our Lord is trying to teach us. We are going to see Jesus Christ as never before. And this is the start of it. We, we, we saw last week that uh, we are blessed. Remember we saw in, in chapter 1 and verse 3, it said, Blessed is the person who reads and the person who hears the words of this prophecy. But I believe the blessing ties into those who heed. That's what it says next in that verse. Those who heed the things that are written in it, for the time is near. Now, last week we saw in the book of Daniel, an angel came to Daniel and told him about the last things, the last things of, of the last days. And Daniel didn't comprehend all that the angel had told him. And so he said, tell me, tell me what this means. And the angel said to him, Daniel, go your way. It is not for you to know. These things are sealed up until the end times. Well, we've come now to the book of Revelation. We are living in a time where the angel says to John in chapter 22, and verse 16, I think it is, maybe 10, but he says, don't seal up any longer the things that are written within this book. Because, he says, the time is near. We are now living in this time. This time that the Lord might choose to come back. Now, when he comes back, we don't know. We said that last week. Nobody knows. Only the Father. And he's not saying. But we can tell you this. this is, I, I studied this week and I found something out and I want to share it with you. And you'll probably only hear it here. So, kind of, and you might want to mark, mark this down. We are one week closer than last week. <laughs> oh, that's all I know. What do you mean? What do you think? <laughs> that's as smart as I am. We are closer today than we were last week. And our Lord is preparing, preparing our hearts for this time of His coming. I told you last week that I would tell you there are seven blessings found in the book of Revelation. The number seven, as I will try to explain to you today, is very critical to the book of Revelation. Seven blessings are mentioned. We saw the first one, remember, in chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed, it says, is the person who reads and hears the words of the prophecy. And I think, very important, heed. Heed the things that are written in it, for the time is near. And then in chapter 14, in the 13th verse, John says he heard a voice from heaven saying, Write these things. Blessed, he says, are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, so that they may rest from their labors. Their deeds will follow with them. In Revelation chapter 16, in verse 15, you'll note on the board, you can write these down and, and take a look at them later on your own. But in Revelation 16, 15, Jesus Christ says, Behold, I am coming like a thief. And he said, Blessed, blessed is the person who stays awake and keeps his clothes. In other words, is ready, is prepared for his coming so that he will not walk about naked and men will not see his shame. And then in the 19th chapter, the 9th verse, uh, an angel, or the angel said to John, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are true words of God. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And you and I, if you've come to trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we will sit at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And man, will we be able to eat. 
You know, more gravy, please. Won't have to worry about your waistline anymore. Oh, man, can't wait for that meal. Chapter 20, verse 6, it says, Blessed and holy is the person who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with Him for a thousand years. Revelation 22.7 compares a little bit with uh, chapter 1 and verse 3. It says, Behold, Jesus again says, I am coming quickly and blessed is the one who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book, this wonderful, wonderful book that we possess and hold in our laps. And I hope you have one. If you do not and you cannot afford one, we will give you a Bible. We have some upstairs, and we will be happy to give you a Bible so that you might have your own. And then lastly, in in the 22nd chapter, the 14th verse, it says, "Blessed, Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life, and they may enter by the gates into the city. Who are those that have washed their robes? Well, Take a look with me, if you're still in Revelation 1, take a look at Revelation chapter 7, please, just for a moment. I want you to see who these people are. It says in verse 13 of chapter 7, one of the elders answered and said to John, John, who, these who are clothed in the white robes, who are they? From where have they come? And John said to him, he says, My Lord, you know. And he said to John, These are the ones who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the what? In the blood of the Lamb. You know, there is absolutely no greater privilege that you and I have to know that the blood of Jesus Christ has washed away our sins. There's no greater message that can be given than the blood of Jesus cleanses us. And so those are the seven blessings that are mentioned in the book of Revelation. I was reading through some commentaries to try to make sense of some of this, and and I came upon a commentary by uh, Dr. Ironside, and he shared a comparison between the book of Genesis and the book of Revelation. And I thought I would mark down some of these and just kind of pass them along to you and me. It's just a wonderful comparison that he brings. He says, for instance, the book of Genesis is the book of beginnings. Whereas, he says, the book of Revelation is the book of last things. He says, Genesis gives us the creation of the heavens and the earth. Whereas, he says, the book of Revelation presents a new heaven and a new earth. Genesis shows us the earthly paradise with the tree of life and the river of blessings all lost, banished due to sin The book of Revelation shows us again the paradise of God with the tree of life and the living water of life proceeding out of the throne of God, all recaptured through the atonement of Jesus Christ. Genesis, we see the first man, Adam, and his wife Eve set over God's creation. In the book of Revelation, we see the second man, Jesus Christ, and his bride, you and I, believers, ruling over a redeemed world. In Genesis, we are told of the first sacrificial lamb, the lamb that was sacrificed for sin. In the book of Revelation, we see the Lamb of God, the one who was once slain and now is seated in heaven on the throne in heaven itself. 
In Genesis, we see a city that was built by man and it failed. In the book of Revelation, we see a city built by God and it is eternal. In Genesis, we see the beginning of sin. We see Satan come upon the scene and tempt Eve as a serpent. In the book of Revelation, we see that old serpent, Satan, cast into an eternal lake of fire called hell. In Genesis, we have the first murder. We have the first note of sin, polygamy, drunkenness, rebellion, and on and on and on it goes. And in the book of Revelation, we see all of these sins. And those who refuse to accept God's amazing grace banished from His presence forever into the lake of fire, that place that is called hell. In Genesis, we see sorrow, death, pain, tears. We see the inevitable companion that comes alongside of sin. We see it move its way into the world in which we live. We we see it here today. In the book of Revelation, we see God wipe away every tear. We see God welcome His redeemed into heaven. We see God take away sin, death, pain, sorrow, cast them into hell, and they will never return. We'll never have to deal with it again. It's a great, great, wonderful comparison between the book of Genesis, the book of Revelation. Well, as you remember last week, and remember we said the book of Revelation is not plural. It's not the book of Revelations, plural. It is Revelation, singular, always singular, Revelation. Last week we saw that that, that the angel came to John and he told him, write these things. And we, we looked in the 22nd chapter at the end of the book of Revelation, the 16th verse. And we saw where Jesus said to John, through the angel, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. And so we emphasized last week how important this message is that we are learning for the church. And we saw how much God places an emphasis upon our gathering together, our, our meeting like this, how it is important for us to come together as a body of believers to formulate His church so as that we might learn the things of God. And, and so we learned how it is to, to function as a church. A church has a, just a very simple function. It's, we are just to preach the Word of God. We are to exalt Jesus Christ. If you see nothing else here, you ought to find in and through this church that we praise Jesus Christ. We love Him with all of our hearts, with all of our soul, with all of our strength. And He is everything to us. And His Word is how we get to know Him. It is through these pages, these words that we study and know how much it is that He loves us and and how we can turn around and love Him perhaps just a portion of it, and and maybe get to a place where it's not just a portion, but we can love them with all of our hearts and all of our soul. And and so we know how it is to run church. I mean, mean, the Bible doesn't tell you what color the church ought to be or, or, or how it's all set up or any of that, but the Bible tells us that we are to preach the Word of God. We are to teach the teachings of the apostles. In other words, the things that are written in the Bible that you hold in your lap so that we might understand who Jesus is. And so as we read in verse 4, 5, and 6, read with me, please, in the book of Revelation, the first chapter, verse 4, 5, and 6, it says, John, 
to the seven churches. He's simply introducing himself. They, they did that in that day. They, they, they introduced themselves at the beginning of their, their letter to, the, to whomever they were writing to rather than at the end. And so John says, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. And he has made us to be a kingdom. King James says, made us to be kings priests to his God and Father. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. So be it, or amen. What a great, great place in Scripture you've come to be with us this week to study. This is, this is such a powerful place. You will see Jesus Christ in his glory today. I hope like perhaps never before. Would you pray with me as we prepare our hearts to hear from our Lord. Father, we desire that deeply. We desire to hear from your heart. For that reason, Father, I ask that you might move me aside, that we would not be encumbered by a, a speaker, but so much as we would see in your word and, and hear from your heart, hopefully, dear Father, the things that are of you and how desperately you love us so much so that you sent your only begotten Son to go to the cross to shed his blood and give his life so that we might have forgiveness of our sins and we might have eternal life. Father, the kindness of you and to do such a thing is beyond our comprehension. And so, Father, would you please, by your grace, bless us Allow us to hear your heart. And Father, we pray your, your kindness upon us. Your, as we sung, Father, your amazing grace. How sweet that sound is that saved a wretch like me. Bless us, Father, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I told you, and I'm, I'm going to try and, 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 and teach you as, as we go along about the number seven. Now, I'm not a numerologist. I don't, I don't get all of that, that stuff. It's sometimes in the Bible, it, it goes beyond me. I'm, I'm a purist. I want to know Jesus Christ. I, I want to know what he wants from me, and I want to be obedient. I, I, I think that's the, the key to a, a, a Christian life, is, is knowing that, that he asks us to be obedient, and he gives us a set of, of guidelines how to live our lives in that fashion. But the number seven is critical. And so we read this message to his churches who are in Asia. But it's not only a message to the seven churches mentioned in this Roman providence of Asia Minor, Western Turkey, but it also is a message for all the churches throughout history. John says in verse 4, Look, grace to you and peace from him who is, who was, and who is to come. This speaks of our eternal God. Now the Bible opens up in, in a very interesting fashion with this unexplained truth. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, it says what? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's 
Genesis 1.1. Now, that is a very interesting statement. Is it not interesting to you that there is absolutely no explanation given regarding God, this one who is our eternal Father? I mean, where did he come from? Nothing said. He is just simply there in the beginning. Well, obvious, no more is needed to be said by God concerning himself. Just simply, in the beginning, I am God. Case closed. You see, the Bible, and obviously God himself, does not try to prove his existence. You know, Dr. McGee really has a great statement. In, in the Bible, Dr. McGee writes, there are three mentions of beginnings. Genesis 1.1, John 1.1, and, and 1 John 1. And in 1 John it says, in the beginning, what was from the beginning. So Dr. McGee says, stretch your mind, if you would. Try to figure out the beginning. Where did it all start? And go back as far as your mind will allow you to go. I mean, just go back beyond the, the creation of, of this earth, beyond men and women, and go back and back and back and back until you can go no further. Your mind just won't allow you. And put your stake down. And Dr. McGee says, from the past eternal comes Jesus Christ walking and saying, is that as far as you can take this thing? I'm way, way back there. I am eternal he is the eternal God whom you and I worship. And he finds that it no reason to prove himself. But on the contrary, he does say this. I want you to see it. It's really critical. Romans. Romans would be, of course, to the left. Everything's to the left now of the book of Revelation. Unless we go to the maps, and then we won't go to the maps. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. You might want to read in Romans chapter 1, starting like, say, for instance, verse uh, uh, 18, I think it is, until the, the end of the chapter. It's, it's, it's remarkable. It's, it's, it's how God views this earth, how sin just overcomes us, and, 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 and people keep sinning, keep sinning, keep sinning. And in verses 22, I think it is 24 and 26, or is it 24? No, 24, 26, and 28, God keeps saying, and he gave them over. Gave them over to their sin. Well, what I want us to look at is verses 19 and 20. Because it says that, verse 19, which was known about God, is evident within them. Why was it evident? Well, because God made it evident to them. Them meaning all human beings for all time. Look, verse 20, for since the creation of this world, in other words, from the first, first human being that was made, God's invisible attributes, His eternal power, His divine nature have been what? Clearly, isn't it interesting? Clearly seen, not just seen, but it is clearly seen, and even, it says, is understood through what has been made. Note, so that they, they meaning all of mankind, are without excuse. Now, can people say there is no God? Of course they can. I mean, I just heard it just the other night. 
I was watching a, what, I like to watch some talk shows, and I was walking, watching this talk show of a comedian, and, and, and kind of how his mind works, and, and it was fun of, of, of sorts, and, and the, the guy that was questioning him asked him about his religious beliefs, and he says, well, I'm an atheist. He says, but I'm not one of those guys that doesn't allow a guy that believe in God, to, he can believe in God if he wants. He says, I used to, but he says, I've grown past that. I am now an atheist. So can people say there is no God? Of course they can. Many do. But God made his existence to them evident, and they are without excuse. Every single one of us are without excuse about his existence. And so if you're here this morning and you're investigating about this God whom we love, don't fool us to try to say, well, I don't know. You know there's a God. Perhaps you don't know how or or why you ought to worship him, but you know. You know. God has made it evident to you. Some might try to disprove God, though, but they are simply fools in doing so. Oh, oh, by the way, by the way, I am not calling him a fool. I like you guys too much to do that. No, God's saying you're a fool. In the Psalms, the 14th chapter, the first verse, the Bible says this words. God says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Now, if you want to be not foolish, but you want to be wise, then listen to what God says in Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7. It says, the fear of the Lord, in other words, the love of the Lord, the respect of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or wisdom. So here in verse 4 of Revelation chapter 1, John starts out by talking to us about the forever existing God, the one who is present, who was in the past, and who is to come in the future. He is the same yesterday, just as he is today, just as he will be tomorrow. And so here we see the present eternal God, our Father, in the present, in the past, and in the future. The one who has no beginning, the one who has no end, because he has always existed. So that's our introduction to God, the one who is, who was, and is to come. Now we see in verses 4 and 5 the seven churches that are in Asia and the seven spirits that are before his throne. Now before we go any further, let me call your attention to the number seven. We see seven churches, seven spirits. In God's word, the number seven is prominent. It, it does not always denote perfection, as some might suggest, but it does always connote or denote completeness. In many ways, seven has to do with God's covenant, His dealing with Israel. For instance, the Sabbath, circumcision, worship, God rested, all of these hinge upon the seventh day. Jericho was circled seven times. Naaman, who, was, who had leprosy, was instructed to go to the Jordan River and to dip himself into the Jordan River. Guess how many times? Seven times. In Joseph's day, with Pharaoh, there were seven years of plenty and then there were seven years of famine. Nebuchadnezzar was insane for seven years. There are seven petitions in the Lord's Prayer. Seven loaves of bread fed the multitude. 
And Dr. McGee writes that Jesus Christ spoke from the cross seven times. Listen, throughout Scripture, the number seven cannot be ignored, nor can it be considered accidental. Seven is a key number in this book. So here in John, the fourth verse, John writes to the seven churches. Now, we need to ask, were there not more than seven churches in Asia? Well, yeah, there were, of course. Then why did he exclude all the rest? This is my opinion now. This is, I do not know this for certain, but it appears that John was directed to write to seven certain churches because they gave the churches complete history. These seven were more, were most likely, a complete representation of all churches then as well as today. And as we're going to study through these seven churches, in, in chapters 2 and 3, it's going to be absolutely fun. You're going to enjoy every second of it because what you're going to find out are certain things that we are doing correctly and certain things that we ought not to do. And we can learn from both sides. I know as an athlete, when I played, I had managers that were good. At least I felt they were good and some that were bad. And I learned from both. I learned from all people all, always things that maybe I ought to do and things that maybe I shouldn't do do. So these seven that are mentioned here are perhaps a complete representation of all churches. In the same fashion, you see in verse 4, John writes to the seven spirits who are before God's throne. Now there are two major, there are other views, but there are two major views regarding the meaning of this phrase, seven spirits before the throne of God. One, it could be as it says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, that they are not all ministering spirits. They are sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation. It could be that ministering spirits could be the Lord's angels who care for His churches. Seven churches mentioned, seven spirits mentioned to care for them. Now this is my opinion. I want to give you my opinion about... I heard this preached once... But I've never been able to read to find out if this is true or not. But I have a strong belief that this might be true. I believe that God places a spirit upon every church. And it's wise for that church to see what spirit is upon that church. There are, um, I would venture a guess. Now, I didn't say this in any other service. This could be dead wrong. But let's say the Harvest Church in, in what's his name, Laurie, Greg Laurie, Boy, it appears that, that they have a spirit of evangelism. That, what, what they're doing through Greg Glory and that church is amazing. I, other churches have maybe mission-minded and do great things. Not that we shouldn't be evangelistic, nor should we not be, have mission-minded, but it seems like some have just some spirit upon them. And, 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 and I believe somewhat strongly that God has placed a spirit on this church of of young men to teach the Word of God. If for those of you that missed Third Friday, shame on you, really, honestly. You, you have no idea how much fun we have. And we want you to join in on it. We have a potluck. Food is always spectacular. We have tables set up in here. We have just a glorious time. But let me tell you what we really have. 
we have the most wonderful opportunity to hear our young men, the godly men that God have placed in this church, teach us. We had West Porter teach a message that would have been amazing any place else in the world and he taught it to us on a third friday we had mark vosper teach as well out of first john both of them and it was an amazing time but they aren't the only ones we have brant and 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 we have rob and 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 Brandon, who, who, who's coming along, and others who are... Uh, and then we have older ones, too. We have, like me, and, 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 and Pastor Bill. And then we have people in between, like Fred. And I'm not sure how old Fred is. I mean, I, I, assume, he's, I assume he's between us because of Linda. She looks great. I'm not sure about, I'm not sure about Freddie. Freddie, my boy. I love Fred with all my heart. But we have so many wonderful teachers here. It appears that God... And, 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 and then I can mention a, a gentleman who is coming, who is... a I mean, a teacher's teacher who, 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 who teaches at Biola. And, and, and we just, it appears that God is bringing. Uh, you know, I said this in the first service, and I st- I'll stick by it. I, I, I swear, if, if we had, a, if there was a, 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 some sort of competition out in Omaha somewhere, you know, all the churches can come and bring their best teachers. I, I would venture a guess that our guys here would knock every other church out of the box. We just have some guys that can teach the Word of God. And I believe they teach the Word of God with such authority and such purity and, 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 and such passion. Uh, I'm telling you, I am, I'm so impressed with what God has brought to our church. And so Third Friday, please mark it down. You'll, 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 you'll be happy, honestly. You'll be very blessed that you come if you can. Uh, the food's wonderful, but the the teaching of the Word of God is, is spectacular. So ministering spirits, I haven't forgotten where I am. It could be the Lord's angels who care for His churches that are mentioned in verse 4. There are also in the book of Revelation, the 8th chapter is the 16th chapter, seven angels that, that blow seven trumpets to announce the seven judgments of God. And then in chapter 16, there are seven angels who pour out seven bowls of wrath upon this earth each of them ministering to our Lord's every need. That could be one view. Another view could be that these seven spirits refer, refer to God the Holy Spirit. It's mentioned in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2. Now obviously there is but one Holy Spirit. So therefore the number seven would then depict him as in his fullness and in his completeness. And in this case, the number seven would reflect perfection. Now we'll see more about who this may be and, and, and what, what it means to us as we go further in this study. But more importantly, we need to see what's in verse 5. We need to see what is written about our Savior, the one called Jesus Christ, whom we love. We see that he is... Mentioned in verse 5 three ways. He is referred to a faithful witness. He is referred to as the firstborn of the dead. And he is also referred to the ruler of the kings of this earth. And also, verse 5 importantly tells us, he is also, by the way, the one who loves you and me. Who has released you and me from our sins by his blood. When you think about when we come to Easter and we think about the, 
Good Friday and, and how he suffered and, and went to the cross for our sins. When we think about Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, when we think about this one who raised from the dead and we think about how much, how much he loves us and spent and gave of his life for us, I don't think Easter will ever be the same to you again when you think about who he is today. As explained here in verse 5. Then in verse 6 we are told that he has made us, believers, to be a kingdom. It says in the New King James, kings and priests. Kings and priests to his God and Father. And then to him be the glory. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Wow. What a statement concerning yours and my purpose in, li- in life. Why we are alive. Kings and priests living so as to glorify God. Whatever it is you do, as it says in Colossians, do it heartily as unto the Lord, knowing it is the Lord Jesus Christ whom we serve. Whatever it is you do, honor Him with your life. Your purpose in life is to live for Him, to glorify Him in whatever fashion that is. I mean, it might be watching football today, won't it? Maybe. It could be washing your car. It could be mowing your lawn. It could be doing the dishes. It could be hugging and loving on your children. It could be children loving and hugging on your parents. You and I have a purpose in life, a purpose for living. But since this book is about the revelation of Jesus Christ, let's get off of ourselves for this moment. We'll have plenty of time to do that. Let's see Jesus Christ as we ought to. In three very powerful ways. Verse 5, he is called first the faithful witness. What does that mean to us? It means that he establishes who he is. In other words, his credibility is established through his faithful witness. I want you to see this firsthand. Well, read it firsthand. Turn to the book of John, the Gospel of John. You'll turn to the left. And you'll start at the beginning of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. If, if you get to the book of Acts or Romans, turn, keep going to the left, and you're going to find John. And I want you to find the 18th chapter of the book of John. Jesus Christ is on trial. If you know anything about Jesus, he was very silent when they asked him questions when he was on trial. He didn't say much of anything. But, but Pilate now asks Jesus Christ a question. He says, so you, you're the king, are you? Are you the king? And then Pilate was hearing all these rumors about who is this one called Jesus Christ. So he says to him, so you are a king. To which Jesus Christ says in John chapter 18, verse 37, you say correctly that I am a king. Now, When you read this, it's almost like this is such holy ground because Jesus Christ didn't answer a lot of questions. Why this one? You say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born. For this I have come into this world to bear. To bear what, Jesus? To bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth will hear my voice. And I have written down here in capital letters, I promise you. I promise you from the depth of my soul, I will help you hear his voice. Not mine. 
but his. When we get through with these studies, you're going to fall so madly in love with Jesus Christ, I, I pray. I want you to hear his voice. I want you to see this one who died for you and how much he loves you. And see who he is, the one who gave his life for you and me. For this reason I've been born, he says. For this reason I've come to this world, to bear witness to the truth. He is the faithful witness. It gives him credibility of being the Messiah. In, in back in the book of Revelation, let's turn back there and we'll see the second one. But, but as, you, as you're turning back there, it says in the third chapter, the 14th verse, to the angel of the church in Laodicea write these things, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says this, his faithful and true witness establishes his credibility as the Messiah. Secondly, verse 5 speaks of his authority. Not simply his credibility now, but now his authority as he is called the firstborn of the dead. In Colossians chapter 1, if you, if you would, you can turn there please. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 18 Listen to what it says. It says he, talking about Jesus, is the head of the body of the church. That's why we center everything we do upon him in this building. He is everything to us. The young people in, in 180 right now are, I don't know what they're being taught. I don't ask Rob. I don't demand on it. I, I let him be spirit-led, just as I do Wes and the guys that teach on Rooted. I don't tell them where to teach. I, I just tell them to teach out of the Word of God. And right now, our young people are hearing a Bible study, word upon word, line upon line. You see, Jesus Christ is the head of this church. And he also is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Now, we know one thing. He wasn't the first one to rise from the dead because others rose from the dead before him. No, the, the firstborn from the dead speaks of, of his rank, his position. Listen to what it says in this, this 18th verse of, of Colossians chapter 1. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself might come to have, note, first place in everything. We'll give him that. Firstborn refers to the rank of Jesus Christ, his position, his authority to say and to do and to proclaim all that he is without questioning. Hebrews 1.6 says this of Jesus, the firstborn, when he, the firstborn, comes into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. Let me tell you something, folks. That's no small statement because we are taught that we are to worship only God. And so in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 6, we see a mention of worshiping Jesus Christ, talking of his deity, proclaiming that he is God of very God. And so we see his credibility being the, the faithful witness, and we see his authority being the first one born from the dead. And we also see in verse 5, number 3, his sovereignty. He is called the ruler of the kings of the earth. Folks, I am here to tell you that no book displays Jesus Christ's credibility, authority, and sovereignty like this book. I want to close now with chapter 19. You can 
if you have a marker in chapter 1, you can put it there or you can just move and, and, and you don't have to hold your place in chapter 1. But I want you to look with me at, at chapter 19. We saw it before, last week I think, a little bit. John was, was in heaven and he saw heaven itself open up in verse 11. And John says, Behold, I saw a white horse and, and he who sat upon it was called Faithful and True and in righteousness he judges and will wage war. I want us to jump down to verse 15 and 16. John says, This one on this white horse, this one called Jesus Christ, from his mouth came a sharp sword, so that with it he might smite the nations. He'll rule them with a rod of iron, and he will tread the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty, and on his robe, on his thigh, he has a name that is written, King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the one whom you and I worship. He is the one who we built our church upon. This is the one who, if you can comprehend it in your mind, who was born a baby in a manger, a human being, who grew up to be man, proclaimed to everyone who would listen to him that he was the Messiah on earth, God on earth, then he allowed them to take him to a cross, allowed them to put nails in his wrists and in his ankles, and died upon the cross for your sin because he loves you. He is the one who is God, 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 who will come one day to rule this, the heavens and the earth. And he is the one who says in the Bible that you can call him Abba, Father. You know what that means? Daddy. Daddy. This one who is so magnificent that, that we will fall down on our faces before him, he's our Daddy. He loves us so much that he wants to care for us. Can you not give him a portion of your love? And can you not study with us and get to a place where a portion of your love will never be enough? That you want to love him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And by the way, to love him like that is not going to make you any more a Christian. I'm a married man. I'm a happily married man. And I love my wife as much as I know how. But it doesn't make me more married. And sometimes when I love her so much and I think, gosh, man, she just must think she's married to the nicest person on the face of this earth. And I think she's just going to give me a gold star. And she goes, oh, what? That's, I just, what is, that's it? That's it. And when I feel upset about that, I realize and recognize that I've been loving her so that she would love me back. No, I'm just to love her purely and it won't make me more a married man, more a husband. Same way with our, our walk with the Lord. Love Him with all your heart. You're not going to make you more a Christian. But I'll tell you one thing. It'll bless you beyond your wildest dream to really understand and to love the Lord with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. It's a great way to live. 
Let's not walk out of here and let the busyness of this day take away the feeling that we might have in our hearts right now towards Jesus Christ. Let's remind ourselves, maybe a watch that beeps every once in a while, or something that, that's in your home that when you see it, it, re- it reminds you, it turns you on to your thoughts about God, and, and remind yourself how much He loves you, so that you can give Him back a, a portion of that love, and to where someday that will not be just a portion, but it will be all that you have. Love Him as He so deserves. Our Father who art in heaven, we love You so much. We love You, Father, and we demonstrate that love to You by our glorifying and magnifying the name of Your Son. We want our church to be built upon Him, Father, so purely and so wonderfully. We want everybody, everybody that can to see Him in all of His glory. We want people to recognize that this Jesus Christ whom we worship is none other than God in human flesh. And that He wants to love every single one of us. And so, Lord, may we live this day, sufficient this day, to share with You all of our love that we can. Maybe just a portion. So be it. Whatever it is, Father, may we love you this day. Father, thank you for who you are. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I love you all more than life itself. Thank you for being here and have yourself a wonderful day. Thanks so much. Thank you.